feel myself getting more kind of emotionally intense by what was happening in my personal life in terms of my family. I could really feel myself getting more stressed than I've ever gotten stressed, but it wasn't like the normal stress. It was like a stress that I never knew before. It was a kind of, I remember saying to myself, I mean, you've got to be careful. You've got to be careful. Something's going to happen. Simultaneously, I was always, I mean, I've always had headaches. Again, that was nothing new, but the headaches were kind of getting more. I suddenly just got this piercing headache and, but it was kind of, you know, I thought it was just my migraines, which was something I was taking medication for. There was something about this headache that was very fuzzy. And I just remember kind of being on the laptop and then typing in and thinking, oh my God, what's my migraine medication done? What's going on? This is really bad side effects. I remember just typing, what are the symptoms of a stroke? When I heard him speaking to the ambulance and stopped on the phone and then they obviously said, you know, whatever, she's slurring or whatever. And he said, yeah, she's slurring her words. And I remember just kind of burst into tears and it was just like, yeah, she's having a stroke. And I don't even think it took that long. I think it took 10 minutes and stuff. And this sort of helped me up and sort of put me on the gurney or whatever and stuff. And just, and that, yeah, and just, just listening to them saying, you know, we're going to take her to, you know, which, you know, which hospital we're going to take her to. We're going to take her to Maidstone Hospital. And yeah, it was pretty crazy. It gave me some sort of um, medication to sort of bring down my high blood pressure and stuff. But I just remember just waking up the next day and just being sort of aware that I didn't want to be too scared, just keeping it cool, just keeping it together and stuff and just looking around and just being like, oh my God, everyone was just so old. The doctor's coming in saying kind of like, you know, you've just had a stroke and we don't know how long you're going to last for, but the bleeding stopped. But it's there's still a bit and we're waiting for it to completely finish before we say that you'll be able to go. And the bleeding took about sort of, I'd say four to five days to stop, but I ended up staying in hospital for three weeks. Hello, Mark Goodyear here. Welcome to Stroke Stories, the podcast that seeks out and hears from stroke survivors. In this episode, we hear from Irene Ruke Rabuka, who suffered a stroke at the age of 40. I'm officially diagnosed ADHD, but I was very obviously ADHD before. You literally, you live in your own world, you get distracted. When you're ADHD, it's all the time. I went straight into art school. When I was in my early 20s, I started my own creative business and it was a mixture of fashion, music, art. It was based in Manchester. It was all about profiling all the emerging creatives happening in Manchester because I felt like what was going on at the time was very elitist and was very cliquey. So it was kind of my rebellion towards that. And it did really well and ended up becoming a business and becoming something that was sold in all like galleries around the UK, like the Tate Modern, to kind of, you know, record shops in New York. When I came back home to Tunbridge Wells from Manchester, I sort of decided to kind of start working towards an MBA. Whilst I was doing my MBA, I was doing some mentoring. I've always sort of done work with young people and voluntary work, sort of helping disadvantaged people and stuff. And so I started working with um, young kids and I could feel myself getting more kind of emotionally intense by what was happening in my personal life in terms of my family. I could really feel myself getting more stressed than I've ever gotten stressed, but it wasn't like the normal stress. It was like a stress that I never knew before. It was a kind of I remember saying to myself, I mean, you've got to be careful. You've got to be careful. Something's going to happen. Simultaneously, I was always, I mean, I've always had headaches. Again, that was nothing new, but the headaches were kind of getting more. But then I got myself in a situation where I was kind of like, the situation at home had improved, the family situation had improved and stuff. And so I was sort of like, you know, and I was getting better at, you know, at work and with what was happening at work, but these headaches were coming up and down. And then I suddenly just got this piercing headache. And, it, but it was kind of, you know, I thought it was just my migraines, which was, something I was taking medication for. There was something about this headache that was very fuzzy. And I just remember kind of being on the laptop and then typing in and thinking, oh my God, what's my migraine medication done? What's going on? This is really bad side effects. I remember just typing, what are the symptoms of a stroke? 
I was speaking, but I didn't think I sounded slurry. But then I started to fall and I couldn't pick myself up. And it wasn't a big fall because, like I said, I was aware. I was kind of like, I, was, I could find myself dipping to the side. And I just called my brother because I was my mom's house. I remember just saying, can you help me up? Can you help me up? And he was just like, no, I think we should call the ambulance. Okay, well, what? I'm fine. I just need to be helped up. And then I can lie down. He goes, no, 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 I think we should call the ambulance. And then when I heard him speaking to the ambulance and stopped on the phone, and then they obviously said, you know, whatever, she's slurring or whatever. And he said, yeah, she's slurring her words. And I remember just kind of burst into tears. And it was just like, yeah, she's having a stroke. And... I don't even think it took that long. I think it took 10 minutes and stuff. And this sort of helped me up and sort of put me on the gurney or whatever and stuff. And just, and yeah, and just, just listening to them saying, you know, we're going to take her to, you know, which you know, which hospital we're going to take her to. We're going to take her to Maidstone Hospital. And yeah, it was pretty crazy. Irene had similar symptoms during her regular migraines. They gave me some sort of um, medication to sort of bring down my high blood pressure and stuff. But I just remember just waking up the next day and just being sort of aware that I didn't want to be too scared, just keeping it cool, just keeping it together and stuff and just looking around and just being like, oh my God, everyone was just so old. The doctor's coming in saying kind of like, you know, you've just had a stroke and we don't know how long you're going to last for, but the bleeding stopped, but it's there's still a bit and we're waiting for it to completely finish before we say that you'll be able to go. And the bleeding took about sort of, I'd say four to five days to stop, but I ended up staying in hospital for three weeks because there wasn't any space at the rehab that they wanted to send me to. So I ended up just being at the hospital for a lot longer than I had to. And it was great because there's some amazing, you know, nurses and some physios, but it was just, you know, it was kind of like, it was just, I found myself helping a lot, you know, just kind of like, you know, just keeping an eye out on some of the old ladies who used to want to walk about and everything. But, you know, the nurses definitely made it because they were so lovely, but it was hard. It was, there was just that feeling of complete and utter lack of control. And of course my ADHD became a massive factor because this was the first time in my life, truly, that I didn't have any control over what I did to obviously manage my ADHD. I couldn't, I wasn't walking. I wasn't buzzing about the place. You know, it was suddenly made me being not being able to move and having the doctors be really vague and say they don't know if I walk again. And everyone just being so vague and just not really saying anything was just, it's like, your, it's, you know, it's, my, it's your idea of hell. It's just, it's like, oh my God, because you just have no power and, just being in that situation was just really, it was just so difficult because I just had so much that I was going through my head because I just, it was just having no control and having no power to be able to do anything about it and having to deal with the fact that I have this other disorder that's always been very hyperactive, it's always been very active and I've been able to kind of hide it, not hide it, but I've been able to sort of manage it in society, but I, now I actually couldn't. And having that kind of so fear as well that they're going to try and sort of say things to me and think that I can understand it, but I can't do what I always do, which is sort of like be distracted, but then remember, and then, you know, go back to what they said, because I've had a stroke and my brain isn't working. Like, I mean, I'm, you know, I'm just exhausted and stuff. And so it became a situation of me just trying to communicate to them that I'm not like everybody else. Yeah, there was a lot of kind of miscommunication. There was a lot of constantly just trying to try to explain myself and not being listened to. And then finally, the doctor, one of the doctors kind of understood when I said to him, look, I'm really arty. Do you understand that I'm a really, I'm an emotional person. And so trying to see that, you know, there's a different way of, of working with me. And he sort of understood that. And because he understood that, they were able to give me some beta blockers, which really helped bring my pressure down and stuff. And then after that, it was kind of a situation of just sort of, you're lying on that bed and you need to be moved about. You need to be doing physio straight away. But I wasn't. I spent about two weeks doing nothing. After her stay in hospital, Irene had three months at a rehab centre in Ashford. 
lovely people working there, really nice, really warm, really good at what they do. But again, it was the same situation except longer where I was constantly trying to explain myself and trying to communicate, you know, the way that I am because it was just really difficult for them to understand someone with a creative temperament, someone with an emotional temperament, someone who's not, you know, straight down the line, you know, sort of like move your foot here, do this, do that. And then accordingly it happens. I was able to be really lucky because I had some lovely people that were able to kind of understand where I was coming from. And they gave me a bigger room, which was lovely. And with the bigger room, I was able to buy an easel and have start painting, start doing my art. And I was able to just get loads of flowers and loads of plants and stuff. And I was able to have this little fridge where I could have my own food. Like the environment's really important, you know, you, you feel something's really beautiful and pretty. And, you know, I had sort of perfumes coming out and stuff and I'd have a really nice sort of like, you know, I bought it just a nice rock to kind of go on the corner, just to kind of make it look really nice and homely. And But at the same time, really sort of like welcoming. And because, you know, that would help me heal and kind of really, and I really took to it, you know, I really took, and they loved that I took to it and they loved that I was kind of working with it and stuff. But obviously there was always that kind of function because they could only do so much because they don't really understand ADHD and how to work with it. So there was a lot of times where I just wasn't moving. Things were not happening until somebody who kind of had that kind of personality would be sort of like, right, rewards do things in burst, create action. And then I would start to move. You know, it was, it was really kind of, it was, and they would be like, what? How? She's not moved for weeks. And it was just like, and the person's like, she seems to really respond well to burst of energy and kind of like a bit of a competition, competitive, you know, so create that competition. She likes fun. So create that kind of stuff. And so they, you know, they did this. So they started to, once they sort of understood that it was really good because they kind of got me going outside and they enjoyed it as well. And it became a situation where I would just go around the rehab and I'd just go and, have fun with the old, you know, with all the old people around and stuff and the, you know, different people doing things. And if I saw anybody upset, I'd sort of take the piss out of them and we'd have a laugh. And then we also had to kind of get out of our shells because it was kind of like, you know, it was important to have a laugh and to be, you know, to be just taking the piss out of each other and just kind of not take all tickets so seriously. And so I just, yeah, befriended a lot of the nurses and night nurses and stuff. And I always had a laugh with them and I was sort of, you know, anxious, incredibly anxious. I was still very, you know, I was still very much on fight or flight I was still very much kind of just overtly fearful and because there was just you know there was just that lack of understanding of just of my ADHD and knowing that if I don't figure out how to walk if I don't you know if my brain does not connect and so I'm able to kind of start walking if I don't you know get out of this malaise that happens when you have ADHD that I'm not going to be able to walk again I'm not going to be able to move my body again I'm not gonna be able to do the things that I've loved doing which is dancing and hiking you know two things that I absolutely love doing and, and obviously cooking coming up Irene talks about changing her post-stroke mindset I'm an avoidant person I've always kind of you know I've always been an extreme person who just does not want to get hurt or doesn't want to put myself in a vulnerable situation but I actually did and I was so scared, I was crying, but I was just like, you've got to do it. And by doing that, by finally kind of like looking at why this happened, how it happened, how did I deal with it? Why do I deal with things like this? How have I always dealt with things? And kind of connecting these dots and seeing that it's actually not about, oh, I should have done this, I should have done that. It's understanding and being kind to myself and knowing that a lot of the way that I was brought up had nothing to do with me. You know, you, you have no... You know, you have no control over trauma or any chaos that happens around you. And making peace with her stroke. I started to understand that what's happened to me has been the worst thing to have happened to me in my life. 
but it's also been the best thing to have happened to me in my life and it's so it's not frightening but it's so weird because it's sort of like this thing this that's so difficult it's so difficult it's so hard having to learn how to do everything again it's so hard having this label of disability and how people you know look at you and with pity or don't understand or all this uh, you know all these obstacles and all these difficulties but then at the same time i've never been happier let's hear about irene's return home i was living at my mom's and it was just so much chaos and stuff and so that kind of made me more anxious and it made me more hyper sort of like vigilant and more kind of get, and i was still so i was still kind of aware of my blood pressure and so i was like just go back to my own flat and it was too early to go back to my own flat but i was just like i've got to go back because i need my space i need to kind of have this space for at least i'm kind of trying to get by and do things and getting back in my own flat actually helped a lot because i started to i started to move about more and i started to kind of be forced to do things there was no expectation there was no kind of like well, can you do something like this or do something like that but it was given this kind of time where it's kind of like now i was like okay i want to go back to work and so i kind of used work as kind of this anchor of okay i want to get back to work and so i'm going to do this so i can get back to work so that was something that was a really big driver for me that really helped me have that kind of focus and you know put me together towards kind of like really wanting to kind of get my walking and to get my movement better and i was able to finally get my adhd medication sorted out and once i did everything just suddenly made sense and that bizarre anxiety that was always at the edge of kind of like what am i going to have to do how am i going to have to pretend how am i going to have to do that was gone and suddenly a lot of stuff that they were saying made sense to me whereas it didn't make sense to me before i suddenly became on this journey of just finally being able to have the same brain quote unquote as everybody else and finally understanding what they mean when they say certain stuff and understanding how i can connect my thoughts together and i can explain myself and how i can kind of like really understand what's going on and and it just it opened up so much to me and that was when i really started to understand what this all was about and to understand that the only way i'm truly going to be able to walk and move my body properly is if i truly truly let myself go and if i truly open up and i just completely just get really raw and i was so scared because like, i can't i can't i've always protected myself i've always i'm an avoidant person i've always kind of you know i've always been an extreme person who just does not want to get hurt or doesn't want to put myself in a vulnerable situation but i actually did and i was so scared i was crying but i was just like you've got to do it and by doing that by finally kind of like looking at why this happened how it happened how did i deal with it why do i deal with things like this how have i always dealt with things and kind of connecting these dots and seeing that is actually not about oh i should have done this i should have done that is understanding and being kind to myself and knowing that a lot of the way that i was brought up had nothing to do with me you know you you have no you know you have no control over trauma or any chaos that happens around you but now this stroke has told me that now i'm actually now finally in charge of my destiny and all that time when i was young and growing up feeling that i was I had no power and feeling so so kind of frustrated because i wasn't in control of what i could do with my life i realized that this opportunity this stroke has given me this opportunity to really sort of like rewire my brain rewire a lot of thinking that i've had which had been quite negative and so i started to look at it really as what it was which was just sort of you know a warning irene tries hard to remain positive about her stroke I started to understand that what's happened to me 
has been the worst thing to have happened to me in my life, but it's also been the best thing to have happened to me in my life. And it's so, it's not frightening, but it's so weird because it's sort of like this thing this, that's so difficult. It's so difficult. It's so hard having to learn how to do everything again. It's so hard having this label of disability and how people, you know, look at you and with pity or don't understand or all this, uh, you know, all these obstacles and all these difficulties. But then at the same time, I've never been happier. I've never been happier to finally be rid of all these issues that I was, you know, carrying with me all the time. And, you know, it's like now whenever I get any sort of, any sort of stress or tension, I know exactly where it comes from. You know, I know where my nervous system is working up. I know how to kind of, you know, to just try and work with my body and to try and, you know, keep myself calm with the, you know, with the vagus nerve and, just, you know, all these things. Like, I don't get headaches anymore. You know, I used to get headaches all the time. I don't, I don't get all these things anymore. I don't get backaches anymore. I don't get all these things that I used to get all the time because I'm so now aware of my body. I'm so aware of how I move. I'm so aware of how I position myself, you know, how I, you know, how I carry myself because my, you know, my, my side, my stroke side, as I like to call it, is always telling me, you know, if I'm getting too tense or I'm getting too stressed. And so, it's been the most extraordinary thing that's happened to me. And it's just learning about the brain and learning about how these things happen and why they happen. And, you know, just kind of accepting things as they are so you can understand them and work with them and stuff has just been so fascinating and has been so exciting. That's what this journey has really been. But obviously, you know, there's, there's the real world stuff that happens while this is happening. And so, you know, you're constantly kind of like, you're wanting to have create this space of euphoria of kind of, of peace, of me being kind to myself, this is me being open, this is me being like, you know what, I like being happy, I like being a smiley person, this is me being me, but at the same time, it's like, but you, this is still the same world that it was before when you left, you're still that person that you were before when you left, you're still that person in that position, you're still in that situation, there's still going to be the same office politics, there's still going to be the same interpersonal issue, there's still going to be the same angry bus drivers, and you kind of like, you know, that sort of, and so that really kind of becomes, I think, the major challenge for me anyways, of kind of trying to now battle this way of looking at the stroke as a gift, as a real, you know, harsh, harsh warning, but a gift, but at the same time, kind of, you know, navigating the challenges of, you know, life, of everyday life, of kind of like, well, you know, you're still only 41, 42, you're planning to launch this, you know, this business, but you can't anymore because you just, the fatigue is too much. You, you know, you had planned to, be like, well, I'm now, I'm finally going to do this and now I'm going to, you know, get that sorted out. But now that's completely changed because it's sort of like, you're not entering, um, you know, so for example, an emotional personal relationship as, you know, a walking able-bodied person. You're now, what you know, you'd now be entering as somebody who's got, you know, you know, not major health issues in a way, really, because weirdly enough, like I said, I've got, I'm actually a lot healthier than I was before, but you're entering as a, as a person who's got mobility issues and, and you know fatigue issues and stuff and that means that you know you definitely kind of can't you know be as active as you used to be and so it's like you've got this you've you know you've got this kind of not new identity but you've got this kind of a new way that you're entering life as this disabled person and as somebody that's kind of either dismissed because you are dis disabled and you've just had a stroke or you kind of work against that and you want to keep on going but you know, you find that you're kind of you're just trying to, you have to also be really sort of, you know, honest and kind to yourself because, you know, you don't want to overexert yourself. You definitely don't want to be doing what you were doing last time. And because that means that you've not learned anything. And so it's, it's 
it's managing a new way of just being and you know, of existing and really working hard to kind of maintain that because, you know, like I said, everything else is still the same. You're still the same person that you were before. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, you kind of have to sort of be, learn to be so patient and learn constantly about mistakes that you're making and the amount of different times that you keep on going back towards the, you know, the, the same old insecurities, the same old hang-ups and having to really check yourself. And so for me, it's been a lot of, you know, start and stop, start, stop, start, stop. And I've kind of accepted that, you know, and, and I've understood that that's what it's going to be until it just becomes a journey. Irene's ADHD made her rehabilitation at times very challenging. But since receiving an official diagnosis, she's found life to be a lot more rewarding and is focusing on making a full recovery. Thanks, as ever, for listening and supporting Stroke Stories. Your rating and commenting on the episodes you hear on your podcast provider really do help us spread the word. And if you are or you know of a stroke survivor and there's a story you can share, we'd love to hear from you. Our DMs are always open on Twitter and Instagram. The Stroke Stories podcast was produced by Aidan Judd. I'm Mark Goodyear. Thank you for listening.